Welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Katherine Drinkett. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Our guest today is Perry Carson, who is currently Executive Vice President and Chief Executive Officer at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics, where he heads Celgene's Placental Stem Cell Research and Development Division. Welcome. Thank you. So we know that Celgene is a biopharmaceutical company that focuses on treatments such as cancer, immune, and inflammatory conditions. We're wondering if you could briefly provide an overview of some of the current therapies that you have on the market helping patients today. Yeah, so you're exactly right, Josh. Celgene's mission is to turn some diseases today that are intractable into chronically treated conditions. And based on the science that we developed many years ago, we have on the market today a number of drugs for hematological and solid tumor malignancies, specifically Revlimid which is our lead product. It's an imid that works in multiple myeloma and a variety of other hematological malignancies. And we've been fortunate enough to transform what was a disease that if you had it 10, 15 years ago, you were diagnosed with multiple myeloma, you had two to three years to live with our products, starting out with thalidomide, now Revlimid, and we have a new drug called Pomalist. Those drugs have transformed the treatment of the disease, where now patients are living five, eight, ten years with these drugs. And that's specifically what our mission is, is to turn these diseases into chronically treated conditions. We have some solid tumor drugs, a drug called Abraxane, that was the first drug in decades to show a survival advantage in pancreatic cancer and that drug is also on the market. And we've recently introduced a drug called Otesla, which is a drug for various inflammatory and immune diseases. It's approved for psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis in the United States, and that is going to lead a whole wave of new drugs for us in that whole franchise. We've acquired in a drug called GED0301 that could be an entirely new treatment paradigm for Crohn's disease. Uh, Phase 2 data was released recently. We're going to move that into Phase 3. So all of these portfolio of drugs are drugs that are treating diseases that are currently huge unmet medical needs, and we're going to hopefully transform the treatment of, of many devastating diseases for our patients. So we noticed that one of your current therapies is LifeBank USA, which focuses on core blood, placental blood, and tissue banking. Could you outline the banking process for us? So LifeBank USA was the brainchild of an extremely inventive entrepreneurial physician, Dr. Robert Harari, who 15, 20 years ago had the observation that the placenta seems to do something very magical for patients. So women who have autoimmune diseases, when they're pregnant, the symptoms of their diseases often abate. And and he saw the placenta as a potential use for many medical conditions. So uh, Bob started a banking business called LifeBank USA, where we bank for our clients umbilical cord stem cells as well as placental stem cells. And so those products are collected 
at birth. We store them in a facility in Cedar Knolls, New Jersey, and there have been several patients over the years who have been able to use those stem cells for transplantation for various diseases, including malignancies. We have a, a number of children whose lives have actually been saved by cells that they banked at LifeBank USA. So it's a great service that we provide to those clients, and it also was the source of a lot of our therapies at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics, both on the tissue side, deriving tissue products from the placenta, and we have a product called BioVance on the market today through a partner, Aliqua Biomedical. It's a product for wound treatments, as well as we're working on some other extracellular matrix products from the placenta. And our whole cell therapy program was based on these placental cells that came from placentas that were collected. Cells then were collected from those placentas. Great. I was wondering if you could cover a little bit of how are the stem cells obtained from these placentas or, or the cord blood? At LifeBank USA, a, a client, uh, the parents of a soon-to-be uh, born child, will make a decision that they want to bank their stem cells. And then we will arrange with their physician and with the hospital to send them a kit, a simple kit, where in the delivery room, the placenta that is normally uh, medical waste will be put into this kit. Uh, and then sent back to us in Cedar Knolls, New Jersey, where we have a team of professionals uh, who then extract the cells from the cord blood uh, and bank it in liquid nitrogen. And then if the client has chosen, they will also extract the cells by perfusing the placenta, the other cells, uh, stem cells in the placenta. So it's a procedure where we have perfected the collection of those cells and the banking of the cells, but for the clients themselves and for the medical practitioner, it's a very simple process. They just take the placenta, they put it in the box, they ship it to us, and then we do all of the collecting ourselves in cedar knolls hmm. and bank these in huge liquid nitrogen tanks that, where the cells will be viable for years and years to come. Are the cells expanded at all, or is it just isolating them and storing them? So for the clients of LifeBank USA, they are just isolated and stored. But our self-therapy products, lead product that we call PDA002, Placental Derived Adherent Cell 2, that product is derived from initially a cell line that has been expanded. And so we use a homogeneous population of those cells for our clinical program. But for those clients who bank the cells, it's just extracting and then making sure that uh, the cells are stable and then we freeze them in the liquid nitrogen. And in many cases, uh, in the cases where children in most cases have been transplanted with those cord blood cells, collecting both the cord blood and the placental stem cells give us a, a very large population of cells where the children who have been transplanted in most cases have done very well. The cells have engrafted, uh, there were enough cells to engraft, and, uh, and the children's diseases have been uh, cured or at least put into remission. For our audience, could you cover why stem cells hold therapeutic potential? It's been shown that placental stem cells really hold the potential to engraft and to hopefully cure, but certainly to treat diseases that are intractable by other means. You know, it's standard therapy now for many hematological malignancies for adult patients to get a bone marrow transplant. Uh, that's a technology that has been refined over decades and now is a standard practice. But it was shown over the past few decades that these cord blood stem cells hold the power to engraft and to repopulate the bone marrow for patients who have hematological malignancies and may hold potential to treat a myriad number of diseases because of their pluripotent nature. 
they can differentiate into a variety of cell types in the body and so today the cells that we collect for our clients have been mostly used for various malignancies and to repopulate uh, the bone marrow and transplantations but going forward the work that you're doing here at the Institute the work that we're doing and others are doing are showing that these placental stem cells have the power to differentiate into a number of different cell types neurological various other organs uh, where they could be used to treat a number of diseases from neurological conditions, neurodegenerative conditions, uh, cell uh, and organ failure. So they hold just a whole potential to treat so many different diseases that to collect them at birth and to then uh, cryopreserve them for future use is such a prudent uh, uh, method for those potential patients, the children whose cells were banking, uh, and also for the potential to be used for, for other patients as well. Because finally, the placenta, as I said, is this magical organ where if you think about it, the mother does not reject the fetus. The fetal cells are, are circulating in the, in the placenta, and the, the, the barrier between the mother uh, and the placenta, there's no immunological reactions here. So these cells have the power to not, not elicit an immunogenetic response, and so they may be able to be used allogeneically. Uh, one person's placental stem cells used in another person, and then hold the promise to treat so many different diseases that banking them and further study, like the work you're doing here at the Institute and the work that we're doing at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics, we believe is going to lead to so many different treatments in uh, the years to come. So you've actually gone forward to, to address the next question that, that I was going to ask, but essentially the types of, of diseases that these cell-based therapies might be able to treat and how long are patients going to have to wait to really realize these, these therapies? What, what are your thoughts on that? Is it a five-year span or is it a 10-year span? Well, I'll tell you, I've spent the afternoon here with Dr. Atala and a number of other of your colleagues at the Institute, and I've come away so energized by the work <laughs> that you are doing and the potential that it holds for patients, the patients that you all have treated to date, but the patients that you're going to treat uh, in years to come. And it's incumbent, I think, on all of us to be doing the prudent clinical trial work to generate the data to show that our cells, our tissues do hold that uh, potential and can deliver the potential to treat these diseases and to demonstrate that with real data. So for us, for the, uh, the stem cells and the placental stem cells that we work on, <clears throat> we're looking at a number of diseases right now. Certainly to use those for bone marrow transplantation makes a lot of sense, hemopoietic reconstitution, and that's what a number of our clients have used them for over the years. But we're looking at one cell type that was expanded from placental stem cells that we're now testing in peripheral arterial disease with diabetic foot ulcers. So patients whose wounds, diabetic patients who have horrendous wounds on their feet that often result in either amputation or in many cases mortality. And we believe, we've seen in some very early trials, that these stem cells hold the potential to heal these wounds. Probably working through a revascularization for these patients, and we're going to do some phase two work to try to test that hypothesis. But we believe that in, in that patient population, one that currently is not satisfied by any current means, uh, we believe it holds tremendous potential. 
We're also excited about, as we look uh, down the road, it possibly using stem cells for neurodegenerative diseases. I think that's going to be a longer time coming, but can we as an industry treat Parkinson's disease? Um, can we treat multiple sclerosis, ALS? Now, there have been hints in various trials uh, around the country and around the world that stem cells do hold that potential, but it's going to be incumbent on all of us to move those cells forward, test those in those patients, and find ways to use them. So we are at the cusp, at the very beginning of what stem cells can do for patients. And I think we're going to look back 10, 20 years from now and say we were so primitive there in 2014. You know, at, at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics, our analogy is monoclonal antibodies. Whereas 20, 25 years ago, people knew the technology, it was out there, but it wasn't quite certain how best to use uh, the antibodies as therapeutics. And Genentech, Senecor, other companies advance that technology. And today, there's not one pharmaceutical company in the world that doesn't have monoclonal antibodies in their pipeline. And these drugs have treated diseases from cancer to a variety of other diseases, autoimmune diseases, other diseases that previously were not even conceivable to be treated. We're going to see the same thing with cell therapy. We will be sitting here in 2020, 2025 and just amazed at what we've been able to do. Are there any other research projects that you would like to update us on? Yeah, thank you for that question. <laughs> so we talked about the cell therapy applications. I think what's happening at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics and what your focus is, a lot of your focus here at the Institute, um, is in the whole area of organ regeneration and organoids and the work that Dr. Atala and the team here has done in creating new organs from a patient's own cells is just incredible. For those patients who have been uh, given new bladders, new esophagus, other new organs, it's just truly incredible and remarkable work. We've been working in similar areas at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics, looking at organoids, ways to create populations of cells that can maybe function as many organs or patients who maybe have liver failure or kidney failure. We also see the use of 3D printing, and I was amazed at seeing the 3D printing here today and what, what you're able to do. Uh, we have a much more rudimentary approach in 3D printing, but I believe that holds tremendous promise. It's not going to be tomorrow. Will it be 5, 10, 15 years from now where you can put code in a printer and create a new kidney for a patient who needs a kidney replacement? I think that is all in our future. So the work that we're doing at, at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics mirrors some of the work you're doing here, not quite as sophisticated. Hopefully we'll find ways to collaborate, but I think the whole tissue regeneration, organ regeneration area holds so much promise that it's going to be very exciting in the future for, for many patients. So we realize that with embarking on a new cellular therapy, there are numerous regulatory hurdles that you need to overcome. I was wondering if you could please identify some of these challenges and then discuss how Celgene is working on addressing them. Yeah. You know, we have found the FDA to be extremely collaborative in cell therapy. I believe that the folks at the FDA who are charged with regulating the cell therapy industry, they are as excited about the potential for cell therapy as all of us are. And we have found the dialogue to be very collaborative, uh, very much a dialogue, and they've been extremely helpful in giving us advice and counsel on how to move our programs forward. 
You know, the FDA is staffed by medical professionals who all believe in the value of medical innovation just as we all do. So there are many challenges from ensuring that the cells that go into patients have been manufactured correctly, that you have the right assays to test those cells to ensure that those cells are of the highest quality, to look at adverse events. There was fear years ago that I think has dissipated about these cells possibly causing cancer in a patient. I, I don't think that is currently a concern based on the work that's been done. Uh, but there are going to be many challenges going forward looking at endpoints. How do these cells work? What's the mechanism of action? They may work through so many different factors and they may work differently in each patient based on a patient's environment. So there will be a lot of challenges as we all advance our products through the regulatory pathway, but I'm very confident that the regulators are going to work with us to get these products to patients as expeditiously and as safely as possible. And we've seen that to date certainly at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics. So, we don't see it as a hurdle, we see it as part of the process. We're all inventing new regulatory science together uh, and we're just going to continue down that pathway with our colleagues at the FDA. Also about commenting on reimbursement and making these therapies so that they're widely available so that everybody can have access to them, especially with healthcare costs um, constantly being scrutinized and wanting to keep those costs lower. Do you see cell therapy, at least in the initial years, having a very narrow window in terms of the patients that it can treat and it then needing another five, ten years in order to really blossom and be widely available? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. You know, at Celgene, our mission is to take the value of medical innovation, all of the work that we and others do to create new therapies and ensure that patients have access to those therapies. That's critical. Getting regulatory approval obviously is extremely important, but the most important part is ensuring that patients have access to our drugs, that they can afford to get them, that oh, however they have medical coverage, that that medical coverage does allow them to access these new novel therapies. We've seen that at Celgene with our innovative drugs for hematological malignancies and solid tumors, and the industry has seen it as new advances have come out for a wide range of diseases. On the cell therapy side and regenerative medicine overall, including gene therapy, we are all creating a new paradigm for reimbursement and market access. If a gene therapy product, for instance, only requires a one-time lifetime administration to cure a disease, what is the cost of that and how do we pay for that? These are all issues that we're going to have to deal with as an industry and as a society and companies in the field, we at Celgene, others in the field of regenerative medicine and cell therapy, are working on that now. We talk to payers as we develop our products. We look for the endpoints that they're going to want to see to be able to reimburse. We create uh, health economic outcomes research paradigms where we can look at the value of curing these patients of their diseases, returning people to productive tax-paying lives. Now, what is the overall benefit to society of these medical innovations. So we're all going to work this out together, countries, regulators, payers, and the industry along with academia will work this out in an ecosystem, but it is a whole new paradigm. Yeah. We're very confident at the end of the day that if we can deliver meaningful, impactful new therapies to patients, we will all find a way together together to make sure that patients can access those therapies. You know, I think we're going we're gonna to see it very soon with the chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapies that are coming out that are taking patients who previously had no therapeutic options and they're turning various leukemias and other hematological malignancies, putting them into remission. 
These are revolutionary technologies, and we will all figure out together how uh, society can pay for it and how patients can get access. We have no doubt at Celgene that we'll be able to do that together as a collaborative group, and patients will have access. What is the key take-home message for our audience from this podcast? The key message for, for us at Celgene Cellular Therapeutics, and I think for all of us that are working in healthcare, is truly the value of medical innovation. If you look at what has been done over the past two, three, four, five decades in taking science, science like that that you're working on at the Institute, and translating it into therapies for patients, it is just incredible, the revolution that's happened. Just in oncology alone, where you now have targeted therapies where by sequencing the human genome that was done 10, 15 years ago, we are now able to detect mutations specific mutations in cancer patients and come up with therapies that work exactly after that mutation and really start creating personalized therapy. The take-home message is we all, society, all of us in the industry from academia to the industry to the regulators to the payers need to be working together in an ecosystem to continue to take all of these transformative new technologies and convert them into therapies for patients. We are only at the cusp of what we're going to be able to see in terms of treating diseases that today are devastating and intractable and turning them hopefully into chronically treated conditions. It's a very exciting place to be. There's a lot of issues as we've cited here, regulatory, market access. We are going to solve all of those, but the excitement is the work that you are doing here, that we are doing to translate your science to therapies, and the best is yet to come. So if I were talking to young people who are involved in science today, tell them to dedicate their careers for the next 30, 40, 50 years, because this is the place to be. We're going to do incredible things for patients. All right. Thank you. That's a great message. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, guys. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at WFIRM News.